The Patrick Madrid Show. Oh, yeah, that's the good stuff, man. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Hi there, and welcome to The Patrick Madrid Show. It's good to have you. I'd love to talk to you, and my number is 888-914-9149, sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. That number again, 888-914-9149. I'm here for you. Do you need a second opinion? you want to bounce something off me? Do you need some info? Whatever it may be, that's the number to call, 888-914-9149. And, of course, you can send me an email. The address is patrick at relevantradio.com. I have one that came in this morning from Greg, and I'm not sure where Greg is listening from, but he says, I've been listening to your shows on IVF, in vitro fertilization, in recent news. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on the options for couples who are trying to conceive naturally. Now, this is not a topic for children. We're not going to get graphic, but it's not a topic for children. So parents, exercise caution, please. Protect the innocence of your children. And if need be, if you have children in the, in the room, just... Do we have any children holding, Cyrus? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, not yet, anyway. But yeah, turn the turn the radio down for maybe two, three, four, five minutes at the most. And if you would prefer, maybe the kids can go in the other room and color or play Play-Doh in the other room. And then uh, you and I can hang out for the next few minutes talking about a topic that's not age appropriate for children. Fair warning, ready, steady, go. So he says, I've been listening to your shows on IVF in recent news. And I was wondering if you can elaborate on the options for couples who are trying to conceive naturally. My wife and I, he says, have been trying to conceive naturally for over two years, and doctors have run every test they can think of and cannot find any reasons why we are unable to have a child. Aside from natural family planning, taking hormone stimulators and adoption, do we have any options? I'll pause there for a moment. I would say, number one, those are three very good options. Each in their own way can help. Certainly adoption is not exactly the same thing, but that is an option. And there are children who are waiting for a loving mother and father, a loving home. So I don't want to in any way minimize those important options. They're all good. And, you know, maybe hormone stimulators would be something you have to be careful about. But natural natural family planning can help. And adoption certainly is another option. So his final point in the email is, if IVF were used by collecting with a celastic sheath during the marital act, and only one ovum, egg, was fertilized and then implanted, would this be moral? Now, this is is a good and subtle question. So before I offer my thought on this issue, I'll just take one step back, Greg, and say that among the reasons that the Church says that in vitro fertilization is immoral, notwithstanding the comments to the contrary by certain Catholic politicians and others sort of out of the blue recently, notwithstanding those opinions, the Church says that this is morally wrong for a few reasons. One of them is that it dissociates the natural and and God-ordained, if we want to put it that way, method for a child to come into existence, and that is through the loving intimacy within marriage and the particular act that gives rise to conception. Now, IVF, of course, does not 
does not do that. I mean, it's entirely dissociated from that act. So it's no longer the fruit of the act of intimacy, even though in the scenario that you're giving me, the act itself does take place. And the materials that are necessary for conception are drawn from that in a way that would be morally permissible, at least in terms of the husband. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that issue in a second. But it still dissociates it from the intimacy of the marital act. And that's a fundamental reason that the church says even that in itself would invalidate it as something that we could consider morally permissible. The other reasons would involve, for example, and that doesn't touch upon the, the scenario that you're raising here, but the other ones, far more commonly, of course, would be that there are multiple ova that are, are fertilized, and we go back to that question we talked about yesterday and last week, which is we now have a terrible situation in which you've got fertilized ova, you've got embryos even, who are human beings, they're at that stage of development, and they are placed cryogenically in suspension indefinitely, or they're killed. So that, of course, is another heinous aspect of this. Uh, very often also, and this is not what you're referring to here, but very often another, another dimension of all this is that it's not even the genetic materials from the mother and the father. There's some third party involved, which adds to the heinousness of the act. So with those sort of preambles in place, looking at this, what about if the genetic material is drawn from you and your wife, and in the case of you, the father, in a way that doesn't violate the moral principle against self-stimulation? And the reason that's important is for people to understand that this act is taking place, and what results from the act, at least for the father, can be morally permissible to make use of for a purpose. But the question remains, um, withdrawing the ovum from the mother and then fertilizing the ovum in a test tube in vitro, dissociated, ultimately dissociated from the act, I think is the reason why as I understand the Church's moral teaching on this issue, that that would still be rendered uh, immoral. So it brings you closer to a situation where it might be considered moral for the reasons that you mentioned. But I don't think it would fully get to the point where, even under these conditions, that the Church would say, yes, this is moral. Now, I'm always happy to be corrected by the competent authorities. And there are such people who work at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, and their website is ncbcenter.org, ncbcenter.org. So, Greg, what I would recommend, and in our previous conversations, I think I even <clears throat> may have referenced them in some of— yes, I have, as I look back at some of our earlier emails. I did give you a link in an earlier email to the NCB Center, so I would encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, because they will have further information. And also in their quarterly journal, the National Catholic Bioethics Center has this quarterly journal for many years, and there is a great deal of literature on this very question. So I've given you a brief synopsis in using my own opinion on the issue, but I, I'm confident that I'm right on this, but I would like to see if they differed with me. So check them out, ncbcenter.org. And I do appreciate your thoughtful approach to this topic. Not everybody is nearly as thoughtful as you are, 
And I do appreciate that. Thank you. 888-914-9149. Let's start off with Marilyn in California. Hello, Marilyn. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Um, I am I love well, thank show. you. Thank you. I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that to you. <laughs> I love okay. your show. But um, I have just a little, I was just kind of a little disappointed when that caller called about black women on welfare. Because it's not all hmm. black women. You have when was Latinos. That? I honestly don't remember. Maybe Cyrus can check me on this. Do you remember a call on that? Was it recently, Marilyn? Yes, it was. It was like at the beginning of the month. Okay. Yeah, somehow like, I don't remember yeah. it, but go ahead, please. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, you have Latinos, you have white people, you have Asian people, that are, but not all black women. Because he called about how um, black women are on welfare and that the dads are not, and they're trying to get money and keep the dads out of their lives. That's not true. The dads don't want to be in their lives. That's the problem. I agree with you. That That's what makes me somewhat mystified. First of all, I do agree. I mean, it's self-evidently true that there are women of, uh, and not just women, men, of course, too, of all ethnicities who are yeah. enrolled in welfare. Um, mm-hmm. You sure it wasn't maybe a caller who said that? Because that's not a view that I hold. And also the idea of um, women staying on welfare in, in having more children as a way to make money. I've, to my knowledge, I've never said anything like that. I certainly don't hold that It was that a caller. View. It was a caller that said it. Mm. Not you. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that must have been, I must have been sleepwalking. No, okay. no, you didn't say it. It was a caller that said it. And so I was just like, want to say, you know, most women work and they also get child support from the dad. Right. You know? So that's it. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Do you ever listen to Drew's show in the afternoon by chance? I try to, but not always because I have the app and I'm working. But yes, I do when I go on my lunch breaks. Well, the only thing I can think of is it possible. I mean, this has happened before where people have thought something they heard was on my show and it turns out it was on a different show. But um, for the record, I do agree with the two points you're making, Marilyn. I do. Yeah, I was least, I'd always listen to you in my car. My dial hardly ever changes. So I'm going oh, to mass good. in the morning. So I hardly ever get to call you because I like to go to 7, 8 o'clock to mass. And sometimes uh-huh. I don't get up until 6 o'clock in the morning. Until so, 6 o'clock thanks. in the morning. You're an early bird. Yeah, California time. California time. So it's 9 o'clock your time. California time. Right. I know it well. I mean, having been born and raised and lived most of my life in California, so do you have to commute on the 405 or the 5 or somewhere oh, in SoCal? No, I do not. No. I live in Long Beach and work in Long Beach. That's a blessing. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And then I go to Mass out here in Long Beach, but except for on Sundays, I go to San Pedro. Okay. Uh, St. Peter's. So yeah. thank you. You're have welcome. You're such a loyal listener, and I'm glad you called in today. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. 888-914-9149. How about uh, Dylan down in Wisconsin? Hello, Dylan. Hi, Patrick. So my question was uh, basically revolving around uh, how uh, not just our church, but I feel like a lot of churches are struggling with uh, participation in churches. Mm-hmm. And I know ours has recently brought up more programs, but it still seems like it's a lot of uh, older participants. And I was wondering... 
what can be done to draw a lot of the younger generation, um, especially young adults and children, because it feels like there's a lot of them missing from church. And I'm wondering, mm. how can we bring it back? Huh. Well, to the extent that that's the case in any given parish, um, I, I suppose there are multiple things that are causing this. Um, distraction with other things at home, sports, uh, infotainment, entertainment, things of that nature. For some men, it's just a matter of laziness. They'd rather not be bothered. Maybe they don't really have God first in their lives, and so other things take first place and not God. Um, I know that in some parishes, I've seen this with my own eyes, where a kind of toxic feminism reigns, it has a tendency to drive men away. If if the, the liturgical celebrations and the music and the decorations and things are in an, in an extravagant or, or exaggerated way overly feminine, that can have an effect on some men, where it will drive them away or they feel as though, oh, this is for women kind of thing. The problem you're identifying, I think, is far more pronounced in places like Mexico and other parts of Latin America, and even in Europe, too. I've spent some time in Spain and Italy and have observed similar things, where if you go into Mass, it's typically predominantly women and fewer men, if not few men. So I think things are better here in the United States. But what can we do? Well, preaching, getting people to listen to relevant radio. I know that may sound glib. I don't mean it to sound glib. But Maybe this will give you some encouragement, Dylan. I hear routinely, I don't know if I could safely say every single day, but close to every single day, I hear not only people who call in, men especially, but also by email who give little testimonies to say, I was far away from God, I wasn't going to Mass, and I started listening to Relevant Radio. And it made all the difference, and it changed my life, and now I'm going to Mass in the sacrament. So I do know that that's a bright spot. Relevant Radio can certainly help with that. And then one other thing, too, is the the belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. For example, we have this National Eucharistic Congress coming up in, Indi- in Indianapolis next July. You should go to it if you can. Not too far for you, for coming down from Wisconsin. I'll be there, and Cyrus will be there, and Father Rocky will be there, and Drew will be there, and our whole cast of characters, but we're building up to this event next year as a way, not just for men, of course, but this includes men, to to help people catch fire with their love for Jesus in the Holy Eucharist and spending time with Jesus in adoration, being attentive at Mass, things like that. And this is one other thing, and I'll throw it back to you. This is one other thing that does dramatically change lives. People who need miracles, maybe a guy who's out of work or he doesn't like his job or he's having trouble with his marriage or he's got a rebellious kid or he himself is dealing with pornography or what it could be any number of things. Spending time with Jesus in the Eucharist is a way that the Lord draws people close to himself. Inevitably, they would be going back to Mass and things. So that's another practical thing that if all the parishes in the country are letting everybody know, hey, this coming July, National Eucharistic Congress, you need a miracle in your life, you need help with your situation, draw closer to Jesus, and what better way to do that than through the Holy Eucharist? That's another thing that's at our disposal as well. So Dylan, what do you think? 
I was going to say, uh, yeah, I, I know our church has been working a lot to- with the uh, National Eucharistic Revival. Uh, we actually just had uh, Jesse Romero come over uh, to actually talk to us about different mm-hmm. things uh, when it comes to involving with that. And we have had other speakers as well. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, we are trying hard with different programs and everything. But like I said, it seems like the programs have mostly older people there, and that's where we're struggling. I- well, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't have a magic, you know, do this and that will that problem will go away. The four, three or four, four or five, whatever the things were that I mentioned, I know from experience do help. So yeah. my advice would be keep trying those things. If you're already doing them, I would say keep doing them. Lead by example. You know, be a, a Eucharistic Catholic man and gather around you other Eucharistic Catholic men and tell them to gather around them other Eucharistic Catholic men. And if they're not Eucharistic in their outlook, teach them how to be. You know, maybe get your men's group, if you have one, or start a men's group where we're going to do adoration once a week for an hour. And we'll go in as a group, and we'll adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, bring our sons and daughters. I mean, there are a lot of ways to do this, practically, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I know they have a, a men's group as well that I can't attend due to the time constraints, unfortunately. But I was wondering if there was other options, because I know we, uh, they have they actually have a program called Batman is You, which is a big Catholic program uh, they mm-hmm. do. And I was wondering if there was other ones, especially ones oriented more to, towards younger adults. Because I'm a, um, I'm a young adult, be. and I feel like there's not many like me in the Church. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Dylan, and far be it for me to argue with your own experience, because you know, you're experiencing it. Um, my experience, anecdotally, is having traveled all around the country for over 35 years, just to give you a sense of perspective, this may be encouraging to you. So for 35 years, I traveled the country doing speaking engagements at parishes and universities and conferences and things of that nature. And I was always very impressed at how many young men and women were engaged. It doesn't mean that more couldn't be, but everywhere I went, you know, all around the country, big cities, small towns, and everywhere in between, I did see that. So don't feel as though all is lost or that everything is a wasteland because there are good groups like that. And, you know, I have to take a break, Dylan, but why don't you start one? Rather than look for a program, if there isn't one in your area, maybe start one and build up from the ground up and attract other people to do this. And enthusiasm and leadership go a long way. And maybe that's something God might be calling you to. Check it out. And I hope I see you next, well, this coming July in Indianapolis at the National... Eucharistic Revival. It's going to be awesome. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. Madrid is on coast to coast on Relevant Radio. That's right. And on a Taco Tuesday, hence the music. 
888-914-9149. Quick email that came in from Patrick. He's listening on the Relevant Radio app. And he asks, why did the divorce rate increase so rapidly? Your segments last week on divorce were very touching to me. He says, my parents divorced when I was just a small kid, small child in 1972. At the time, I didn't know any other families who were divorced. When other kids asked about my family, I remember I couldn't even get the word divorced out of my mouth. Now, divorce is sadly so common. I'm curious, why do you think the divorce rate increased so rapidly? And he has a, a link to a website that I myself have promoted on this program before, onemoresoul.com. They're great. He says, a study on the website shows a startling correlation between the rapid increase in the divorce rate and the introduction of the pill. Do you think the pill might be a factor in the divorce rate increasing so rapidly? And he says, um, he says, you recently mentioned you'd consider sharing examples of your own father of the bride speeches. I'm eagerly looking forward to it. <laughs> Well, on that note, I don't know how soon that will happen. I don't even remember, honestly, the father of the bride speeches I've given thus far. I have another daughter getting married this year, so I will be cranking up that machine again, Patrick, to deliver another father of the bride speech toast at her wedding. She's marrying a wonderful Catholic man, by the way. Um, but I really don't even remember the specifics of what I've said before, so I may have to wait till after this next wedding to have some ideas fresh in my mind. But as to your question, certainly the rise of uh, readily available uh, contraceptives in the form of the pill, that definitely is a, a very important driving factor, I think, in the rise of divorces statistically. And one reason for that is that if people can fool around and not have to worry so much about getting pregnant if they're doing illicit things, that would, you might say, kind of make things a whole lot more enticing, a whole lot more tempting. That's a good word for it. So, yes, I certainly concur, and that, that would have been one of the main answers I would have given you, even though you, you mentioned One More Soul's article on that. Um, the other thing, too, is the rise of no-fault divorce. It used to be, back in the day, that if a couple got divorced, somebody was assigned the blame. It could be adultery, it could be alienation of affection. There were all kinds of different terms I heard when I was growing up. But I don't know exactly when no-fault divorce really began. It's a killing spree of marriages in this country, but I'm pretty confident it was in the 60s. And it used to be that in those days, to say that somebody was divorced, you'd say that in hushed tones. I remember hearing my mom and dad from time to time, well, she's divorced, like if it was a bad word. And that's changed. It's become terribly normalized now, as you yourself know. But I think the no-fault divorce is another big part of it, because with no-fault divorce, you just say, I want out. And you don't have to give a reason. And, you, and nobody has any blame assigned to them. And if there's dirty laundry, typically, if it's handled with no-fault divorce, which I oppose, uh, that dirty laundry doesn't come out. So that's another big factor, if you ask me. Thanks for the email. 888-914-9149. How about Marianne now in Chicago? Hello, Marianne. Patrick, nice to finally get a hold of you after all the times I've tried. <laughs> yes, well, I'm glad you made it through. Thank you. Yes. I wanted to share, I think his name was Ethan, the young man that was talking about trying to get more people, you know, to come to the parish. And um, I just wanted to share my own experience. I, I go to a parish in Chicago that is very vibrant and um 
tons of young families, tons of young people. Mm-hmm. And I think because their focus is really on the mass and celebrating the sacraments well, you know, unequivocally Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that is what seemed, that's what drew me. And I think that that's what seems to draw most of the people, of course, you know, like we're going to have a St. Joseph's table and there are um, other groups that meet at the parish. We have, uh, he was speaking about men in particular. We have an Exodus 90 group that's extremely large um, of men. And we have those things, but the priority is always on the sacred liturgy and um, adoration and celebrating the sacraments with reverence and all of the all of the beauty the you know the music is is very much a focus so i think that it creates for for me it creates that atmosphere um where you can have the encounter with jesus and i think that's very attractive to to everybody the older people of course but a lot of young people as well um the other thing is that confession is very much encouraged um on a on a regular basis and we're blessed because we have a, our own order of priests, so we have more than one priest in the parish. Um, but I still feel as though, you know, if if, um, if that's talked about from the pulpit and people really make an effort to get to confession regularly, um, that also is just such a uh, such a consoling thing for people and such a draw. So I just wanted to share um, with, I believe again, his name was Ethan, that there, you know, there is hope, and I think we really need to support our priests, especially in a parish where there may only be one, um, and let him know, you know, we support you, you know, speak the truth to us, celebrate the liturgy well, and, um, and they will come, as they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Marianne, all good points. You just described my parish. <laughs> you just described okay. it. It is uh, run by Dominican fathers, the order of preachers, so we have an abundance of priests, and I realize that's an anomaly. It's not typical in most parishes. But we have lines out the door for confession before and after every Mass every day. There, the, the faith is preached in its entirety. The preaching is excellent. The faith is not compromised. There are tons and tons of large families, and especially young families with a lot of children and babies on the way. I mean, typically at any given Mass, there's, there's got to be 15, 20 pregnant young moms in the congregation who already have two or three or four or five or six or eight or ten kids. It's beautiful. So it's a thriving parish. The faith is front and center. Jesus Christ is front and center. The sacraments are offered in abundance, and people flock for miles. They come, they drive in some cases over an hour each way to get to this parish, which is in the inner city, as a matter of fact. There's kind of a skid row mission, catty corner from the parish, which is good because it's important to see those parts of God's family who don't have it so well. But it, it's an example of what you're talking about. And I have seen other parishes like this. So I concur that especially in a parish where Jesus is front and center, the preaching is not wishy-washy, they're not preaching about you know politics or social issues or LGBTQ or anything like that. It's just the gospel. And the sacrament of confession, also known as reconciliation, is made available liberally. Uh, like the movie line, build it and they will come. And they do. So I'm really happy to hear, Marianne, that that's the case in your parish. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go to Cam now in Rancho Cordova, California. Good morning, Cam. Hey, Patrick. Good morning to you. 
I have a question for you. And the question sure. is, um, I'm a little confused about Lent. And um, okay. I want to know, um, I've always been taught as a kid that Lent was 40 days. But reading Catholic Answers, it says it's just a, an approximation because Lent ends on um, Holy Thursday uh, at the Feast of Our Lord's Supper. And so I can give you the answer. Out, yeah, I can yeah, give you the answer. Yeah, and it, it's, it depends on how you enumerate the days. That's the issue. So you can count them in a couple different ways. Let me share with you what the USCCB website says. So this is the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and it's under the heading, Why is Lent 40 Days? The Lenten season is a time of preparation for the liturgical celebration of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Many Catholics spend that time on the three practices of Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It is also a time to, pre- to participate in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, also known as confession. The season of Lent lasts from Ash Wednesday until the evening of Holy Thursday. If Sundays are excluded from the count, the season lasts 40 days. The, and obviously, although it doesn't say this, if you include Sundays in the count, then it's more than 40 days. The 40-day length of Lent is rooted in the biblical usage of the number 40. 40 is typically indicative of a time of testing, trial, penance, purification, and renewal. In the New Testament, 40 days is the length of Jesus' time of trial in the desert in preparation for his public ministry proclaiming the gospel. So in a nutshell, that's the answer, um, and it really ultimately gets down it ultimately gets down to how do you count the days? So with that in mind, um, hopefully that would clarify that question for you. And they do have a helpful kind of um, PDF infographic uh, one sheet. It's not really an infographic per se, but it's called Fact of Faith, Why is Lent 40 Days? So if you wanted to share this in your parish or print it out or whatever, that's also available on their website. Does that help, Cam? Okay. Yes, it does. Patrick, thank you very much. Have a good you day. You are most welcome. I'm glad we could talk today. Thank you. Happy Taco Tuesday, by the way. Uh, I was. I wanted to share a story with you. We're going to take a break in a few minutes, but I want to share a story with you that came to my mind recently. We were talking about the National Eucharistic Congress, which is coming up this coming July. Be sure to be there. It's going to really supercharge your life and your knowledge of Jesus, and more importantly, your love for Jesus and the Holy Eucharist. He gave us this special sacrament. We read all about it in the Bible. In John chapter 6, for example, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and so on. But I had an incident that took place at a Catholic parish. This is in North County, San Diego, years and years ago. I was giving a talk um, at this parish. And during the intermission, uh, actually, no, I take that back. It was right at the end of the talk. So the Q&A period had taken place. And during the intermission... A Mormon fellow who was there for the talk, he was just curious, he showed up, you know, but he was a for real committed Mormon. And he asked if we could talk after my Q&A session was finished. I said, sure, be happy to. So I got my Bible and my book or whatever I had up there with me in the sanctuary. I turned and genuflected to the tabernacle. And then I walked back to the narthex of the church where he was waiting for me. And he asked me, he says, Why did, what, was, what is that little like curtsy thing that you did up there? What is that for? He says, I've, 
I've seen Catholics do that. I don't even know what it's for. And I said, oh, well, it's because, you see that metal box up there, kind of stylized, beautiful, golden box? I said, that's a tabernacle in Catholic speak, and Jesus is truly present in the tabernacle in the Holy Eucharist. So that what you call a curtsy, we call a genuflection, where you bend one knee, and it's a sign of reverence and love for Jesus. Just a little hello to Jesus. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to be instructing this Mormon fellow on such matters. And his response, I've always remembered what he said. This is going back 30 years or more. He said, huh. He said, okay, well, okay. But he said, do you think that most Catholics really believe that? And I said, of course we do. He said, well, I mean, no disrespect, but I've attended some Catholic masses. I've been to some weddings and funerals where there's been a mass. He says, but it sure doesn't look to me like the Catholics I've looked at really feel like that's God. He said, you know, I see Catholics talking or they don't look very focused. And he says, I'm just being observant. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I, I don't really see in the Catholic folk, when I've attended Masses here and there, who seem to really believe that. And he said, if I believed that, he said, I don't believe it. I'm a Mormon, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't believe that that's really Jesus. But he said, if I did, he said, I would be flat on my face. I would be prostrate on the ground in front of the tabernacle, as you call it as a Catholic, or the Eucharist, as you call it, Uh, If that's really him, he said, I I wouldn't be able to leave the room. I would be flat on my face in adoration. And he says, that's why I don't really think you Catholics really believe that, because I don't see that. Now, for me, and I don't even remember what the rest of our conversation was, because I couldn't get that comment out of my mind, and he was right. Maybe not right in terms of, like, all Catholics everywhere do that, but many Catholics are distracted. Many Catholics are not paying attention. Many Catholics have very minimal understanding or or belief in Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist. And just as you know, you can evangelize people by what you say and how you act and such. You can also anti-evangelize people. You can de-evangelize someone by your outward demeanor. So no heat, no judgment. I ain't pointing no fingers. But I will say that that insight that the Mormon gentleman raised with me has never left me. And I share it with you, especially because the Eucharistic revival is coming up this coming July. We'll talk a little bit more about that after the break. We have some more updates for you coming up. But um, just think about that. When you go to Holy Communion, do you, do you not to be show-offy or anything like that, but do you go to Holy Communion with reverence and attention and recollectedness so that if somebody were to just look at you, they would say, oh, wow, she's really, she really believes, or he really believes. Look at, the, look at the way in which these people are approaching to receive Jesus. Or would someone just look at you and say, well, I guess he doesn't really believe it because he's chewing gum or he's looking at his phone or he's looking around or something like that. Something to think about. I've thought about it continuously. 
since that evening long ago. We're going to take a break. The number is 888-914-9149. Don't forget, the Eucharistic Congress is coming up in Indianapolis this coming July. It's going to be an opportunity for you to gather with many other Catholic people and deepen your faith and love for Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss it. And I'll be right back. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College's Free Principles Classes. Sign up for a free online class on Holy Scripture today at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Learn to read the Bible with the mind of the Church at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Get connected to the conversation. Call now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant Radio. And happy Taco Tuesday to you as well. Thank you for listening. The number is 888-914-9149. Just before the break, I was talking to you about that incident with the Mormon fellow who attended one of my talks, and he said, based on his observation of Catholics, it didn't seem to him that too many Catholics were that devout and really believed in Jesus and the Holy Eucharist. And that really stuck with me. It was a reminder to me that you can evangelize People, yes, you can also de-evangelize them, even just by how they observe your fervor, your your respect, your reverence for Jesus and the Holy Eucharist. And it just so happens uh, that our very own Josh Raymond has stopped into the studio this morning. Good morning, Josh. I, you must have heard me talking about the National <laughs> Eucharistic Congress coming up this July. Yeah, no, that's—I I think you're so spot on with, you know, what you're talking about, that conversation with that Mormon fellow. Um, the, the National Eucharistic Congress— is supposed to be that kind of impetus, that that thing that energizes us as Catholics to evangelize. Mm-hmm. That that's the whole purpose of it. You know that we're so almost two years ago now. The U.S. bishops called for this Eucharistic revival, and it's a three-year period that they designated. So you would think that oh, the culmination of that is the Eucharistic Congress. We're done. Revival over. No, it's actually <laughs> only at the end of the second year. And that third year is supposed to be us going from that Eucharistic Congress and heading out back to our own home parishes, our communities, and we take back the message, the enthusiasm, the renewal that we experience at the Congress. We take that back to our parishes, our family, our friends, all those people that we can impact for Christ and hopefully be exactly what you were talking about, Patrick, mm-hmm. that that uh, you know evangelist that is saying Jesus is truly, uh, really substantially present here in the Eucharist. Yes. And the follow-up question for everyone listening, myself and yourself included, is, so that being the case, what does that mean to you? I mean, in your own personal life, not speaking to you personally, Josh, but to everybody, Yeah, this reality of Jesus truly present in the Holy Eucharist you don't find that, you can't find that anywhere else except in the Catholic Church. Now, granted, our Orthodox brothers and sisters, they do also have Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, but um, you're not going to find it anywhere else. And what does that mean to you? And if it means the world to you, as Jesus wants it to, what are you going to do about it? Go to the Eucharistic Congress and find out how Jesus can change you. So, I mean, I know people are here, Josh, I, I don't know how much time you have. We could spend hours talking about this, but among other questions I get asked is, well, for example, this is three days 
I can't go for three days. I can go for a day or I could go for like a day and a half. Is it all or nothing? Or what are the options for people who maybe can't go the entire time of the Congress? Sure. So um, the way the Congress is set up, the dates are officially July 17th through the 21st. It's in Indianapolis. If you're a regular listener to Relevant Radio, you've probably heard us talking about it. But if not, those are the dates. So uh, about five months away here. But... Yeah, you can buy tickets just for the weekend. It's a Wednesday through a Sunday. It, it wraps up Sunday morning. Uh, starts Wednesday night, full days of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then wraps up Sunday morning. You can buy only tickets for the weekend, but if at all possible, I'd really actually encourage you to try and attend the full Congress. And the reason for that is that they are planning that the full experience is going to be a journey through all five days, that the themes build upon one another one day leading into the next. So that said, if you can't make it for the entire experience, of course, we'd love to see you there for the weekend rather than not at all. But if you can make it for all five days, you really get that overarching complete experience and you, and you understand from beginning to end what this journey is. Right. What makes me think of, Josh, is, you know, none of us ever had the opportunity to follow Jesus for three years in his public ministry, but we can get a very abbreviated version of that for five days or some portion thereof by following Jesus at the Eucharistic revival this coming July. Uh, So for people who say, okay, I want to get, I want in, I want to be there, maybe I can do the whole thing, maybe I can't, what would you recommend they do by way of looking at the dates and getting their signups and all? Well, so you you can travel on your own. You're welcome to do that. Relevant Radio, we've actually set up to where you can travel with us. Uh, we have some different options for travel packages that can just be your tickets. If you just want to get your tickets to go there, but you want to take care of transportation and lodging. I will say from a practical standpoint, lodging in Indianapolis they have a number of different events that are all happening that same stretch of time there in July, especially that weekend. So there really aren't hardly any hotel rooms available left in the city itself. You have to start going to the outskirts of the city or to other uh, towns that are kind of outside of Indianapolis. Relevant Radio, we had reserved a number of months ago some different hotel rooms in hotels that are actually connected to the convention center. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want to have to worry about trying to drive in and fight traffic and find a parking spot every single day, uh, just go to relevantradio.com. You'll see right on the front page of our homepage there, It has information. You can click. You can learn more. You can do that on our app. Um, There's multiple ways. The other thing that I'd say, if you travel with Relevant Radio, uh, again, we'll we'll help take care of. You know, the the you don't have to worry about the (laughs) the driving in, the parking, all of that. But um, the tolls, right? all All of those different things. But even if you do say, well, you know, I'll take care of that stuff myself. Get at least your ticket for the Eucharistic Congress through Relevant Radio because Father Rocky has a brand new book that's going to be released coming up this summer. It's called Treasures of the Eucharist. And everybody who gets their ticket through Relevant Radio, they'll get a copy of that when they show up to the Mm -hmm. National Eucharistic Congress. And of course, you know, you'll be kind of connected to Relevant Radio. We're we're all going to be there. We hope to see you. We really look forward to meeting you there. Um, You know, Drew and Patrick and Father Rocky and and the rest of the crew here at Relevant Radio. But, um, you know, that's of course, secondary, a book, or, you know, being able to meet people. You know, the, the real yeah. focus is the Eucharist, of course. Jesus 
front and center, right in the center yes. of everything. This is where he belongs, where his family will be gathering together as a family. Uh, what is the, I know there's an upper limit for the number of people who could fit in this arena. Um, did I hear correctly that's about 80,000 possible seats for that? That's what they're saying is it can it can hold kind of maximum capacity 80,000. I think we're closing in on about half of that being sold already as far as mm-hmm. tickets and and you know what they're what they're seeing come through. So with again about 5 months to go, that'll start going faster and faster. Um, you know, the other thing you were talking about we don't. We didn't get a chance to walk with Jesus for three years, but we do get a little taste of that, you know, during these five days of the Eucharistic Congress. The other thought that it, it made me think of is what it will be like to be part of the communion of saints. You know that mm-hmm. all of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven. You know, if you especially if you look at the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and you see there in the center is Jesus on the throne, the lamb that was slain yet lives, and everything is focused and centered around him. And the the thought of us all there kind of focused around the Eucharist, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 people all together singing the Alleluia or singing the great amen after yeah. the consecration. It, it just kind of gives drums. me chills thinking about <laughs> it right now. Yeah, you know, and I'm wondering too, Josh, that's a, that's a beautiful um, image in my mind, seeing all of God's people gathered like that. I know we have many non-Catholic folk who listen to this program, Protestant folk, Mormon folk, and others, even some who are atheists. What would you say to somebody who says, I'm not a Catholic, but I'm interested? What do we say to them? Well, you're always welcome. <laughs> you're absolutely welcome to come and learn about the Catholic Church. Hey, number one, thanks for listening to Relevant Radio and at least wanting to find the truth. You know, yeah. that's that's one of the things we believe, that there is objective and absolute truth in our universe, and that truth points to Jesus Christ. And we believe that he has reveal, revealed that truth in the fullest way possible to us as humans in the Catholic Church. But if you want to participate in this, just because you're not Catholic doesn't mean you can't attend. Uh, but more importantly, I'd actually say find a local parish and start figuring out, you know, where where you can attend, mm-hmm. how you can attend Mass there, and then see if they have an RCIA program. Um, and that stands for the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Right. And there's no obligation. You can go through that. You can learn about the the Catholic Church. In fact, I know at different parishes I've attended through the years, they've even opened it up and said, hey, if you just kind of want a refresher, you're a Catholic, you've been in the church for a number of years, come and attend the classes. You can kind of get a, a refresher on what we believe as Catholics. So that's a great place to start. Yeah, for sure. And I know that uh, there are people listening who are saying, I want to be on the the relevant radio bus or buses, as the case may be. And I, I want to travel. Maybe I'll see Drew. Maybe I'll see Cyrus. And they'll, they'll certainly see us there at the event. That's right. um, so as far as just one more time for people who didn't quite catch that, if they want to travel with relevant radio and get a package that will help them sort of stay, I don't know if we call it our group, but our contingent, uh, what, what again do they need to do or where do they go for that? Yeah, easiest way to learn is relevantradio.com, and you'll see it up on the main page when you just go to our homepage, relevantradio.com. Drew's smiling face. Yeah, he's that's exactly talking, right. Yep, yeah. he's got a video right there. <laughs> and then um, you can do it on the Relevant Radio app, or if you want to give a phone call, you can also call 844 400 
844-400-9559 is the phone number again, 844-400-9559. We have a number of different options that you can look at, that you can talk to somebody, that you can explore uh, for traveling. But really, hope to see you there and you know, hope to see us all show up for Jesus. Yeah, I guarantee I'll be there. <laughs> We're going to be doing the show live uh, throughout that week. That'll be very fun to do. And uh, for people who have wondered, what does Cyrus really look like? You're going to find out if you attend the National Eucharistic Congress. Uh, among many other things, you're going to find out that. See, there he goes. He's excited. Well, thank you, Josh. Um, I'm glad you were able to stop in yeah, and share that Yeah, great to talk with you, info. Patrick. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe we'll have another chance later in the show today. Is that right? Sounds great. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. Now let's see. I don't think uh, I think a man's got to know his limitations. And when it and by the way, that was uh, Josh Raymond, our VP of programming here at Relevant Radio. So if you just tuned in, you heard that voice, you're thinking, "Who is that?" Josh used to be the host of the Inner Life program, which immediately follows this program. So don't change that dial. Patrick um, Conley does a great job with that program, and it's just like one good thing rolling into another. And I'm coming back. We're going to get to your phone calls. The number to dial is 888-914-9149. Memorize that number, please. You'll need it. 888-914-9149. This is the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Oh, yeah, totally. The Patrick Madrid Show is 100% legal. (laughs) For now, anyway.